Coronavirus New Zealand, a daily stuff podcast. Listen to this. <coughs> That's the sound of coronavirus. It's the cough you get when you come down with it. The person coughing is Tom Kitchen, a stuff reporter, who was recently diagnosed with it. We'll hear more from him later in the show. Anyway, welcome to Coronavirus NZ for Monday the 6th of April. I'm Adam Dudding. And I'm Eugene Bingham. Each day we bring you the latest news, as well as some of the more unusual, quirky things about life under lockdown. We made it through our second weekend. A weekend in which we heard our Prime Minister describe someone as an idiot. And today that idiot has pleaded guilty to offensive behaviour after coughing and sneezing over shoppers in a supermarket. Don't be an idiot. It was also a weekend in which essential shopping restrictions were relaxed. You can now buy a few more things online to get you through the crisis, you know, like a $759 dressing gown and $529 track pants from one outlet selling winter clothing. Where's my credit card? So our feature interview, as we've already mentioned, is with coronavirus reporter and patient Tom Kitchen. But first, Eugene, what's happened today? The government is arranging a rescue mission to evacuate Kiwis stranded in Peru. The British Prime Minister Boris Johnson, who tested positive to COVID-19 about 10 days ago, has been admitted to hospital due to his continuing coronavirus symptoms. Over the weekend, New Zealand hit 1,000 cases. The 67 new cases in the past 24 hours brings the total to 1,106. Director General of Health Ashley Bloomfield says we can now be encouraged by the lack of dramatic increase in numbers. That's quite a few days in a row now where the growth in cases appears to be not exponential which has got to be a cause for cautious optimism. You know, Shortland Street is down to three episodes, I think it is, a week, so they don't run out before lockdown's over, which means we need other local New Zealand serials to watch. And as far as I can tell, the current favourite is a show that comes out around 1pm, seven days a week. The sets aren't particularly glamorous, the lighting's harsh, the dialogue isn't the snappiest, but it's hard to turn away from the 1pm government press conferences, live from the Beehive Theatreette. The core cast member obviously is Ashley Bloomfield, but from time to time a certain Jacinda Ardern makes a guest star appearance. On Sunday, both Eugene and I made the effort to take notes. We did. There were a few highlights for me from Sunday's blockbuster episode, a bit of comedy when Jacinda Ardern called the guy sneezing on people an idiot. There was a drama when she revealed that without lockdown there would be 4,000 cases by now instead of 1,000. There was a touch of your classic war movie when she used phrases like the mission we share. There's even a hint of the game show. There's that anticipation at the beginning where everyone's waiting to hear Ashley Bloomfield reveal whether the latest numbers have gone up or down or sideways. At 1pm, Eugene and I are usually too busy editing this thing to watch the entire press conference. But stuff gallery reporter Henry Cook has sat all the way through lots of them. So we called him up for the inside story. Henry Cook, here's the important question. Around the world, we're seeing the rise of the hot bureaucrat after a time where expertise has been sort of derided. We're now seeing in each country, pretty much, there's someone, some man or woman, some serious, maybe slightly boring looking person stands behind a podium, delivers really bad news in a really serious, calm sort of way. And people are are losing their heads. Um, In New Zealand, we've got one particular Twitter account that has, has changed its name to focus on just praise. Ashley Bloomfield. So there's a lot of swooning going on out in the wider world, but what about inside the Beehive Theatre yet? Is anyone swooning in there? I think people definitely enjoy it more when Ashley Bloomfield is one of the participants in, in the uh, stand. I hope it's definitely a wave of disappointment that goes around when we um, 
realize that he's having one of his very rare days off. He's a good looking man. I, I personally, um, you know, I think turning public servants into um, quasi celebrities is is kind of strange. But we're, we're all we all have very we all have very strange things going on in our brains right now with lockdown. And I think of the strange things going on in our brain, that's probably not the worst thing. Good point. What, what's the vibe in the room during those press conferences? Is is, is there a you know is there a tension? Is there a camaraderie? Because you're all in this together. You know what what does it feel like? Because it's every single day now. There's a bit more relaxation than there was kind of earlier on when it was still every day but there were so many unanswered questions now it's a bit more obviously we, we all kind of have our head around the idea of a lockdown at this point um, and it's not quite so uh you know brimming with, with with answer questions henry you're suddenly in in the middle of a goldfish bowl really and that the country is watching these things and so the public are picking up on things like the way that the Prime Minister uses reporters' first names, which of course is not unusual, it happens all the time, but people don't normally see it. What's it like suddenly being a goldfish? It is a bit strange that people, as you say, people don't usually watch entire press conferences. They're not usually presented as kind of little episodes of TV to watch every day as they are um, now, because obviously everyone's stuck at home and, and wants to get every update. Usually from a 25-minute press conference, you're seeing 45 seconds clipped out of the news, and that's kind of still how most of us are thinking about them because that's what we're used to. You know, you're asking questions to get a good answer. You're not asking questions because you want your moment of a spotlight on a Facebook Live somewhere. As for the first name thing, um, it is, I mean, if you think about it, it, it makes sense. One of the things you learn about covering politics is that the politicians actually do read almost everything. So they get to know uh, the names and the faces pretty well. Uh, and they use the first names mostly so they can kind of move themselves around the room and stop question lines that are not very happy with. So Tova O'Brien from News Hub was asking a few questions that the Prime Minister is kind of sick of and she can kind of scan her face across the room and say, Henry, Henry, do you have, you know, you have a question? Huh. Um, so actually on that, on Sunday, after Ardern had finished, there were, specifically starting with Tova, but also other people, Lots and lots of questions on exactly the same thing, asking why Health Minister David Clark wasn't answering media phone calls. The question sort of felt legitimate the first time it was asked, and then maybe the pressing of it, but then it went on and on and on. It felt like a total waste of everyone's time. What what was that about? I, I will defend the idea of asking a question over and over again. You often get different answers. And for TV especially, you can make a politician frustrated with you, which might result in some pretty good tape. There's also, I think there is a legitimate question, less about the actual bike ride and more about the fact that the Minister of Health is fronting up for interviews during you know, what you would think would be the largest health crisis, kind of biggest moment of his entire career. That said, I do understand some frustration, I guess, if you are extremely keen to hear coronavirus updates and you don't really care about the health minister's bike ride on Thursday night, still hearing about it on Sunday, it might seem like a bit much. But... I guess the thing to keep in mind there is it was the first time the Prime Minister had actually spoken to media since Thursday night. So while it might seem like an old story, if you, you, you do want to kind of on tape get the Prime Minister's reaction to it, and, and that's why you ask her about it. Right. And so and, and that is very it sounds like that's it's very driven by the the requirements of, of broadcast though, isn't it? In a sense, you if 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 the room was full of press journalists, it wouldn't have gone on as long. Yeah, I think I think it's it's worth it's worth noting that usually press conferences are, while extremely useful for print, more useful for broadcast because they literally can't do you know what they do without having audio and video of the politicians saying what they're doing. Whereas us lowly um, print scribes can kind of make do with a terrible written response or, or you know a, a bad quality phone call with a politician later on in the day. The difference right now is that because there's kind of a communications clampdown across government you only really get those press conferences. So while they're daily, 
which might seem like a lot of transparency. And, and you know, the daily press conferences are appreciated. Don't get me wrong. Most other written, you know, if you write a question to the health ministry, you, you're very unlikely to get a response. So if you like write a question to another, even another minister about kind of a COVID-related matter, it's quite likely that you won't get any response and they'll just say, you know, this can be answered at, at the daily press conference. I didn't, hadn't realised that. So things are really being funneled through that daily press conference. That explains a lot about what goes on in them. Yeah, less, less so now than kind of early on. Early on, and I kind of understand this a little bit from a, I mean, I'm not a comms special and I, I would like everyone for us, everyone to, to, to write us as many answers as possible. But I guess early on, there was a worry that, you know, some some comms staff say one thing in an email, but it's totally contradicted by Ashley Bloomfield later in the day, but it looks bad for the government. You want to have a consistent line of information. In that sense, some of the communication from Ardern is, is very nuanced. Do you think that she's she's writing those sort of scripts herself or, or who's who's writing stuff for her, if not? So her chief press secretary, Andrew Campbell, if it was not her, would be the one writing things. He's usually the one who who um, helps out with those kind of things. But I would say that Ardern is mostly, I mean, she is uh, probably her own best PR person in some ways. And I don't, and I don't say that as an insult at all. I think she, on her seat, can like incredibly well in a communications sense. Interesting. People have been a little bit uh, dismissive of the fact that the Prime Minister did a communications degree, but um, maybe maybe it wasn't such a bad call. In this situation, she is basically the big link between the government and people in terms of comms, you know. Ashley Bloomfield is too, and he, I think he's also a, a pretty gifted communicator. I heard one of the reporters cough just after Ashley Bloomfield had stopped talking. That must be awful if you're dying to have a cough, but you know that the cameras are rolling. Yes, you really, you really wouldn't want to. Um, <laughs> you feel like if you'd cough, suddenly the entire room would turn its, you know, turn its neck and look at you. <laughs> yeah. If you're someone like I, you know, I, I get allergies, and, and you know, just, just even sneezing right now, because you, you know, you come, you come out into somewhere where there's a lot of pollen, you feel like you're a, a, basically a criminal. <laughs> yeah, social pariah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, Henry Cook, thank you very much for giving us that insight. It's really fascinating. Thanks for your time, guys. You feel like a popular podcast. I look forward to it. <laughs> So if there's one thing we've learned about ourselves, New Zealand, it's that we're sticklers for rules. And so with the lockdown rules having some grey areas, some people got into a bit of a lather about what the rules actually were. So naturally over the weekend, the head teacher, sorry, I mean the government, uh, made rules clear, issuing a notice under the Health Act. It's extremely unusual and in lots of ways draconian, but these are the times we're in. And it does give the police and the public some clarity. Professor Andrew Geddes from Otago's Law School wrote an excellent piece for the spin-off in which he said it boils down to, basically we have to stay at our private residences except for essential personal movement. We can go to those shops and services that are still open, but only to those within our territorial authority. No driving from Dunedin to Christchurch to buy a pie from the supermarket. We can go to work if we work in an essential service. We can move our family from home to home if we're in a shared bubble arrangement. We can move houses all together if we need care while sick to flee domestic violence or if a court orders it. Just as an aside, we checked with Andrea Vance, the stuff reporter we spoke to on Friday about her story regarding Cam, uh, the guy Nelson um, and his friends who are in a two-house bubble, and asked her if this changed things for them. And... Does, can, can they go back to being a two-house bubble? And she reports, yes. Basically, they clarified that two household bubbles are okay. So Cam was back with his bubble this weekend. So that seems like a pretty good result. Happy ending, yeah. The rules are also clear, clearer around exercising. You know, the, no water-based activities and things like hunting and tramping around. But we can still walk and run. Speaking of which... I was out for a run on Saturday and I discovered the new version of joking that you've got to bomb at the airport. 
I try and avoid joking about bombs at the airport, but uh, tell me, what's the new version? So I was running on a quite deserted road and I saw a friend coming towards me. We actually usually run together, but we're not running together because of the lockdown. He was running towards me and I jokingly said to him, hey, in a very stern voice, hey, you're too far from your house. What I hadn't seen was that there was a woman quite, you know, sort of just down the road who was walking her dog and I said it sufficiently loud that she heard what I said, whipped around to look at us, horrified. And I kind of hastily went into, hey, oh, no, 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 I was joking, I was joking, it's joking, it's okay, I know him, uh, I was joking and she carried on sternly looking at us. My friend, meanwhile, was nearly wetting himself uh, and I, I had to sort of say over and over again, it's okay, it's okay, I'm joking, I'm joking. And she eventually, very stony faced, looked at me and said, I'm going to report the two of you, and then burst out laughing. Hey, did you hear about those wild goats who've taken over the streets of that town in Wales? Go on, name the town, name the town, go on. Llandudno, Welsh listeners, mark me out of 10. Anyway, these these goats are so famous now that Ellen DeGeneres wants to visit as soon as the lockdown is over. So I'm sure the the Welsh town is, is... I don't know. If I was in the Washington, I don't think I'd care much if Ellen was coming. But anyway, um, the thing is, the reason I bring this up, it's not just Wales. As as we know from various uh, posts on Twitter, some of them serious, some of them less so, nature is coming back. And uh, last night I was taking a dusk walk and there was a hedgehog trotting across the road. Obviously, it's just that much safer to trot across a road and not end up flat these days if you're a hedgehog. Um, but I still I was a little bit anxious. There are still a few cars coming through. So I started sort of trying to pick it up and realised, of course, hedgehogs, um, they have spikes. And then I realised I had my jandals. I used my jandals and picked it up and managed to get off the side of the road. So nature's coming back and I feel I'm doing my bit for the, the, the rewilding of Marangi Bay. Actually, this bit's a little bit weird because if you're listening to this, you clearly have found the podcast somewhere. But we've had a few people through our new email, viruspod at stuff.co.nz, telling us that it's tricky to find the podcast if they're just looking for it on the internet. So here are a few options for you beyond searching for Coronavirus NZ on your favourite podcast app. You can type tinyurl.com slash viruspod into your browser and that'll take you a page which has got every episode along with links for subscriptions on every platform you can imagine plus there are always links to the latest apps on stuff's coronavirus section which is at stuff.co.nz slash health slash coronavirus speaking of that email i checked our inbox we've got 10 emails now this is truly exciting. I know, right? I mean, well, one of them was from you testing it out, but you know, the, the 10, 10. It's still 10. It's still 10. It's still 10. We're counting that. So what, one of them refers to something we talked about last week when we were discussing pent up kindness and what to do about it. So Debbie Holmes wrote in to throw an idea into the mix, really, pledging a purchase to a local cafe. She said, I know it's only a small gesture, but as someone who still has their job and is being paid, I appreciate that this will be a tough time for all those not during this time. I believe that if we all choose one or two small local businesses and could forward payment for virtual orders, that we could keep some businesses going that might otherwise not make it through. I like the idea that as at a time like this, we can give without the expectation that we would receive anything in return just for kindness sake. Yeah, that's, that's kind of cool. And um, so what happened with Debbie, she says she contacted a local cafe and did ask them for her bank details so she could do this in an organised sort of way. And it seemed they were a little bit, it's almost, I guess, embarrassed at the at the idea of it, and and 
at the time of writing hadn't given her those details. But there must be a way to make this work. So great listening public to uh, Coronavirus NZ. If anyone's got any thoughts, how to keep giving money to folk whose businesses you want to keep supporting, even though they don't actually have anything you can buy right now. Another email. Pete McDonald got in touch about the story of David Clark, the health minister who got busted going for a mountain bike ride on the Big Easy mountain bike track. Here's Pete. In Friday's podcast, you described the Big Easy, tra- the Big Easy track sorry, as remote. Um, turns out Pete lives nearby it in Dunedin and says, nobody who knows Dunedin would describe this car park as being remote. Well, it's important to get facts right in journalism and we can take it on the chin. I haven't been to Needham very often in my life. I guess I really should have looked at a map more carefully and established where the Big Easy track was before describing it as remote. I did see the photos with the trees and it looked kind of remote, but that's clearly not good enough. So, Dunedinites, I apologise. And also I've reported Adam to the boss. Cheers, mate. I think there are all sorts of ways politicians can react to this crisis. You can, I don't know, make stuff up tell lies, uh, change course repeatedly day after day, um, talk about sonos and vodka, contradict your medical experts, um, insist on shaking hands all the time. Or you can do the opposite. You can be transparent, you can be responsive, you tell the truth, act decisively, defer to experts, uh, try to answer questions honestly, and when you can't answer them, say, I'll get back to you tomorrow. But there's another approach, and this is the one that's been taken by Ireland's Premier Leo Varadkar. He's re-registered as a medical practitioner and will work one shift a week during the coronavirus in Ireland, according to a Reuters report. What a hero. What's on the plague playlist today, Adam? Well, we've had a few. Actually, we had an email in suggesting that we add uh, dire straits so far away to the plague list. Play plague list, and I think play. Oh, I just can't say this thing. The plague, plague, plague list, uh, and that is a very good idea. But um, some good lyrics in it. There are some good lyrics, in it. but there have been so many brand new, specially minted for the plague songs that um, we're, we're managing to stick almost exclusively to those at the moment. So take a listen to this. This one goes out to anyone who's on coronavirus lockdown with their immediate family. So that is Jack Buchanan and his song, Family Lockdown Boogie. But what's not apparent just by listening to it is that it comes with a particularly brilliant video made by Jack with his sister and his mum and his dad from within lockdown in their house in New Zealand. So I'm going to take a stand here. I was I was a bit dismissive about Jack's first offering. Um, he was the same guy who came out with the Ballad of COVID-19, uh, which which was it was all good. But I'm not a big country fan. But this one is a, officially my favourite COVID-19 song so far. It's funny. It's got a bit of a Flight of the Concords vibe, it's upbeat, it's awkward, it's very, very Kiwi, and there's some really, very good choreography, by apparently by his mate, Anna Robinson. I don't know how she conveyed it. Maybe she, she sort of danced in front of Zoom, and then he passed it on to the family. But I like the DIY ethos. Only people in the house are mum, dad, and sister, so guess who stars in the video? Actually, let's, let's hear a bit more of it. Getting along, because that's just how we do. Won't let this virus divide us. We'll try this with your family too. Right at the top of the show, we played a cough, several coughs, and they belong to Tom Kitchen. He's a 26-year-old stuff reporter based in Christchurch who found himself in the middle of a story, biggest story in the world, actually. Now, we should start by noting that Tom, though he's had COVID-19, 
is fine now. He's recovering pretty well from his relatively mild case, apart from that lingering cough. But we still wanted to talk to him just to find out what it's like when you find you've got the disease that the whole world is fearing. Plus, I wanted to know more about that test they give you, the one where they shove a pointy swab right up your nose. Anyway, here's the interview. So, Tom, you're a journalist with Stuff in the Christchurch newsroom. What sort of stories do you work on? I mostly work on breaking news, so that's anything from your fire or your police or your ambulance. Basically, whatever they're doing around Canterbury, I check it out with them. Take you back to the weekend before the lockdown. Everyone's worrying about COVID-19. What are you doing that weekend? I was at work on the Friday, and then in the weekend, I, I met up with somebody that had been to the Hereford Conference, and I hung out with them for a while, and I spent a bit of time just around the city. I was going to meet up with a, a few people, but we decided not to do that for, for obvious reasons when Jacinda Ardern announced that Alert Level 2 would go. On Monday, I was at work, but we were all working from home as per the company policy. I remember uh, working on a story about the Southern District Health Board cases and trying to get some clarification around those. There would have been probably on Monday night where there was just a really slight cough, but I didn't think anything of it at all. I just thought, oh, I've just tickled my throat. And then on the, the Tuesday, that's when it started getting a bit more serious. I was fine in the morning. I was just going about my normal daily routine doing a bit of exercise and even went to the supermarket and I felt fine. But then when I started work about midday, I felt like I had a real cough. It was really strange. I had no idea where it came from. And I was coughing quite dramatically, like <coughs> kind of a little bit like that, I guess you could say. Yeah. And then after that, I was working down in the lounge near my flatmates, but I decided, no, I have to go up to my room. What if this is COVID-19? I didn't think in any way it could be, but I thought I've got to keep a precaution. This country's in tight control under the lockdown, or it's going to be anyway. So I need to be really careful. You're being cautious, but was there any darker feelings running through your head? Tell me about, about that. I guess there was a bit of fear. I guess it's always the worst case scenario of, oh, I could have COVID-19. But really, I was feeling okay because I didn't think it was anything too bad. I thought it might just be a, a bad cough. What were your flatmates saying at this time? I emailed my flatmates, so I don't usually do that kind of thing, but I wanted to do it far away from them to keep their distance. And I said, I don't want to go near you guys in case this is COVID-19. I want to be really careful in the use of the kitchen and that kind of thing. So my flatmates were all okay about it. They weren't too nervous yet, but they understood that we had to take precautions. Luckily, I have my own bathroom. The only thing I really needed to worry about was the kitchen. So I had some paper towels and everything I touched, I just sanitised with disinfectant or I'd use hand sanitizer myself. So on Wednesday, you ring Healthline, but they say you don't meet testing criteria. On Thursday, you ring the doctor and the doctor says a test seems worthwhile, but they're told that you don't meet the case definition. And then it's not it's not till Saturday that you're able to actually get tested. So during those days in between, give me a bit of an idea of what's going through your mind. Everything and anything, really. I remember after ringing Healthline and getting a oh, no, it's probably not COVID-19. There are a lot of other things going around. I th thought that was a bit of a relief. But later in the day, I started to feel worse, tired, and I had a loss of appetite. 
I really started to worry about that. And then I rang my doctor. I remember talking to some of my friends saying, oh, well, goodness, it's not COVID-19. But then it just kept on coming and these symptoms started to get worse. So I decided I had to push to get a test. Sure. So it started with the bad cough. So that was just a constant, really dry cough. I wasn't really coughing up much phlegm or anything like that. It was just that bad cough. That was on the Tuesday. And then on the Tuesday night and the Wednesday morning, I had a mild fever. I found it very hard to get to sleep. And I kept waking up in the night and feeling pretty gruesome, really, I suppose is a word you could use. The next morning on the Wednesday, I had a terrible headache and it lasted for about two days. I felt absolutely terrible. But then they started to fade a couple of days later. Was there anything interesting going on in your life, the rest of your life during this time, or were you basically lying in bed and just dealing with it? Basically, I've just been in bed and watching some movies, playing some games, keeping myself as occupied as I can. What movie have you found to be the greatest solace? <laughs> Oh, you can't go wrong with the Marvel movies, you know. I was watching uh, Doctor Strange the other day. That's uh, always helpful. I'm sure I've got a few other Marvel movies on my list to keep me occupied. There's so many of them. Saturday, you end up getting to the testing clinic. What finally convinces them to approve a test? Well, the first thing was they weren't going to test me. They weren't going to test me at all, but then they talked to somebody else. And because I had a link to the World Hereford Conference, I'd seen somebody that had been to the World Hereford Conference, they decided to test me. And the person you know who attended the conference, were they showing any symptoms? No, they weren't, no. And have they since? No, they haven't. Huh. I'm really interested in the test. I got the test done at a clinic near the Christchurch Hospital. What I did was I walked in, they put a face mask on me, and I went to see the clinician who was completely kitted up with almost a, a helmet on and a, an advisor on. So what they did is they took my temperature. They had a bit of a look around, you know, listen to my chest. And then they actually stuck something all the way up my nose. And it was very uncomfortable. More weird than painful, but still a little bit odd. I had to throw my mask away and then they gave me a new one, which I... I still have, and I'm using that any time I go out of my room, basically. And then they said, they gave me a sheet of paper with a whole lot of information and then said, within 48 hours to 72 hours, I'll get my results back. What was going through your head as you waited? Well, I didn't want to have COVID-19, and I didn't think I would because I didn't meet that case definition. I hadn't come into contact with somebody with the case, and neither had I been overseas. Yeah, it was, it, I was feeling okay about it. And then you get a phone call. Well, the first thing they asked me is, where do you work? And I was like, okay, why are they asking me that? I thought this was a, a call to find out whether I was positive or negative. And I said, I work for the press and stuff in and, and Christchurch. And it was just randomly kind of in a couple of sentences later, they said, you've tested positive. And I was just like, what? wait, wait, I've tested positive. They were like, yes. And I I, I thought, well, that's a bit of a shock. I did not expect that at all. I don't have any shortness of breath. I'm not like those people that we hear about overseas. 
I was feeling generally okay. I was feeling better than I had been before that. When did the contact tracing begin? Immediately, immediately. I spent about half an hour on the phone and they talked me through where I'd been and I sent them a long list by email of where I'd been. How hard was it to remember where you'd been, who you'd seen? Well, I hadn't seen too many people over the last few days, over the last 48 hours before I first started having the symptoms. So that made it quite easy for me. But also there was a long list of random places I'd been. I'd been to the library, I'd been to the dairy, I'd been to the laundromat, I've been to the supermarket, I've been to the bookstore. So there's just many places I've been, I just had to write it down in case it was community transmission. And how are your flatmates? My flatmates are okay. They have to remain in self-isolation for two weeks after my symptoms go away. Yeah, it's, it's a bit difficult for them, but this is the world that we live in now. In, in your life, what's the worst illness you've, you've ever had? Oh, it was probably pneumonia when I was an intermediate school-aged kid. That would have been the worst, I feel. I was taken to hospital for a night. I think that was worse than what I'm experiencing now. It's weird, isn't it? Because you know, you've had this bug that sounds like it wasn't a huge amount worse than a really nasty cold. You're reading the paper and you know that there's this pandemic that's devastating the globe. How does that make you feel? Is it, is it weird? A lot of people around the world are dying from it. So I think we need to take it seriously. And I, even though I'm feeling fine, I think the Prime Minister talked the other day about people in their 20s being the vectors for putting the virus and you know extending the virus around the community. So I think that we have to be really careful. And I'm not going to go out anywhere until I've been okayed by the health authorities because I could give it to somebody passing down the street and they could die from it. It's as simple as that. It's not clear yet whether having COVID-19 definitely gives you immunity, but it's a reasonable guess that it's likely. And it strikes me that as the disease moves around the planet, people who have had it and have got that immunity have, you know, almost got a bit of a superpower going on. You've been watching Marvel movies, but are you ready to be the COVID immune boy reporter for the South Island? Are you ready for that mission? I would love that mission, mate. I would love that mission. Uh, I think <laughs> superhero reporter, eh? What do you know? Tom Kitchen, thank you very much, and I hope you're feeling even better soon. Thank you, Adam, and thanks, Eugene. I appreciate your time. Did we get a cough? <coughs> <coughs> there you go, guys. Here it is. That's the Coronavirus NZ podcast for Monday the 6th of April. I'm Adam Dudding, he's Eugene Bingham. Thank you to Tom Kitchen, Henry Cook, Alex Liu, Catherine George, Patrick Crutzen and Carol Hirschfeld. We're on the Stuff website, stuff.co.nz and you can also find us on all the podcast apps. You can send us an email to viruspod at stuff.co.nz. We'd love to hear from you, especially if you're overseas. Remember we talked about this last week, just record a little voice memo, your name, where you are, how are you going? and send it to us at viruspod at stuff.co.nz. Sayonara.